Our guest today says that multi-stakeholder societal benefit is the next big way for business. Find out why and what this can mean for you and your business. Join us for episode 207 of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And sitting right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. It's great to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas to help visionary leaders accelerate themselves and their companies, of course, to their next level of game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. Now, Pam, CEOs, C-suite executives, and board members are telling us more and more that they care very deeply about ESG issues. But with the global unrest that we're seeing now, we're at a new inflection point. And this has implications that extend far beyond any individual company. Absolutely. It's one thing to create alliances and partnerships on a limited basis around specific strategic issues, but quite another to jointly vision with like-minded companies and NGOs to seriously commit to making the world a better place. This requires a new individual and collective mindset among a wide range of stakeholders, one that prioritizes long-term outcomes that benefit society over a string of short-term financial wins. Yeah, that's true. It surely is a balancing act when you have so many constantly shifting interests and needs. Things are moving all over the place all the time. That's right. That's why we're speaking today with Andrew Hollow, the Director and Principal Consultant at WorkWell Consulting. Andrew is one of Australia's leading experts in realizing the potential of organizations and groups to develop big ideas, and gain collective results. He does his best work in demanding complex sectors and where work across organizational and sector boundaries is required. He has a high level of skill in getting diverse views to the highest value and clear conceptual agreement in the shortest possible time. In over 20 years, Andrew has led almost 1,000 projects for clients who deliver substantial public value, such as governments and non-government, privately held, and nonprofit organizations. You can read much more about Andrew's background by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 207, and scrolling down to bio. Andrew, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thanks very much, Pam and Scott, for having me on. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. It's such an important one. And at this particular time, it seems very important. I mean, with all the things that are going on in the world. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about what the major influence was that brought you to the focus of your business. 
I've had a lifelong fascination, Pam, in what makes societies work. And my reason for that is is in my background. My family were post-war migrant refugees from Europe, just as uh, many in the US, uh, Canada, the UK, uh, and in Australia. We're descended from this uh, diaspora of uh, Eastern, Central, Western Europeans uh, in that post war period. So my parents came uh, in the 1950s to Australia and Australia was a promised golden land. It was a place where there were no revolutions. It was a place where water flowed out of the tap. It was a place where you flicked a switch and the light went on. It was a place where you went to work confident in the knowledge that at night there wouldn't be a knock at the door and somebody takes you off to a dark police cell. So these are the things that my parents uh, grew up telling me stories about. And consequently, it got me very interested in what makes society work when it works so well. Now, fast forward a few years, and as a small child, my father tragically was killed, and he was killed in a road accident. And he was... Oh, so sorry. Yeah, well, this was... This was was I and, and if I'm honest, I don't remember him. I was three and a half, and he was walking home from work and crossing a road. And the year is 1969, so more than 50 years ago, he's hit at dusk in the rain and the drizzle by uh, an underaged, unlicensed driver of an unroadworthy vehicle. Now that boy, he was only 17. He killed my father on the spot and a a tragic event. But as I reflect on what happened on that day that wouldn't have happened today, there are some really major shifts in society that have occurred that mean that my father's death was perhaps not preventable by the standards of 1969, but it's entirely preventable by the standards of 2022. We have different laws around drink driving. This young man was drunk. We have different laws around vehicle manufacturing. We have road safety. We have driver education. We have uh, better signage, better footpaths, better roadways, pretty much everything that uh, was not in place in 1969. And so, Through the course of my life, I became very interested in how these different elements combine both private and public to create societies where fathers coming home from work don't get killed. Uh, (laughs) That's really the essence of it. Now, we're talking about something called multi-stakeholder societal benefit, which is a real mouthful. And people toss these terms around. There's that, there's ESG, there's stakeholder capitalism. For the benefit of this conversation, how do you define multi-stakeholder societal benefit? And why does it matter now more than ever before? I don't have a simple term. I call it multi-stakeholder benefit. I call it public value, where what we are looking at is the ownership of all of the impacts and consequences of an activity, whether they're intended or not. Uh, For decades, we've had a dogma of shareholder primacy. In other words, businesses exist 
to enrich a group of owners. Now, just for the record, uh, I, I'm, I'm a capitalist and have no problem with profit. But what we need to be able to understand is who do the profits accrue to and at what cost to others? Because what multi-stakeholder benefit is about, it says, you know, our organisations have to operate for the long-term benefit, yes, of their owners, but they exist in a society. And as a consequence, what we're looking at is shareholder value is a result of societally beneficial activity, not the goal. And there are plenty of organisations that classing themselves today as net positive businesses. And that perhaps is a better term than multi-stakeholder benefit, where we're thinking net positive. Now, what does net mean? Net means on every dimension. And uh, there are some huge net positive businesses out there today. There's Unilever, which makes, you know, half of what you find in some of the supermarket aisles that we visit in uh, most Western developed companies. There's Danone, uh, they make milk products, they make bottled water. There's Ikea, there's Coca-Cola, there's Nestle. Now, not all of these are entirely net positive businesses businesses, but they are taking concerted steps towards looking at their business as a circular chain. And so Danone uh, asks themselves, well, how do we think about the entire production cycle? So we look at the 52% of resources that go into the actual milk production, the 12% that goes into packaging, the 10% that goes into manufacturing, the 8% into logistics, the 2% in the end of life uh, use of the products, and then the 6% that occurs in our households when we're using the products. Now, how do you accommodate all of that cycle and build it into your economic system, your production system, etc.? So, that's the thinking behind net positive businesses. And um, there's a ground well, like you said in your introduction. You said something to us a while back that really stuck with me. It's if society doesn't function and the world goes to hell, there is no business. So, <laughs> so yeah, net positive makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You cannot have, you cannot have a successful business in a failed society. Let's talk a little bit about the top implications for how CEOs, C-suites, and boards will need to lead differently then to assure current and future societal benefit. What I'm seeing, Pam, and hearing from many of the people I interact with as CEOs and as uh, board directors is that they recognise that our current economic system has two fundamental weaknesses. Firstly, it's built on an assumption of unlimited growth on a finite planet. And secondly, it benefits a small number of people not everybody. So what uh, that creates is a trust deficit. It creates a world where uh, corporations are not trusted. It creates a world where governments 
are not trusted. Uh, it creates a world where some in the nonprofit realm are trusted, but many are not as well. So what uh, the, the implication is, is how to reorient the thinking and the practice inside businesses that recognises these factors and uh, fundamentally asks the question, uh, how is the world better off because we are in it? That, that's the headline question. Mm -hmm. And that's a good place for us to take a break. And when we come back, we'll dig deeper with Andrew Hollow, Director and Principal Consultant at WorkWell Consulting, about the leadership it takes to create multi-stakeholder societal benefit. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, and we're on the web at businessadvance.com. Now, as always, we focus on enabling visionary CEOs and C-suite leaders to accelerate the momentum it takes to create game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. To everyone listening, welcome. We're glad you joined us, whether it's because you're a subscriber or you just found us wherever you pick up your podcasts. But there's a special reason to visit growthignitersradio.com. This is the only way you can access over 200 podcast episodes, and we're now into our eighth year. That's right. And it's also the only place you can find unique show notes, biographies, and resource links that are specifically related to each episode. To get notice of new podcast episodes and our blog posts for a deeper dive on current issues, go to growthignitersradio.com and click sign up now. To learn more about us and Business Advancement Incorporated, go to businessadvance.com about us. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with Andrew Hollow, the Director and Principal Consultant at WorkWell Consulting. Andrew, tell us how people can find out more about you, your work, and your book. I wrote a book called From Impossible to Possible because so many of my clients told me after we'd done strategic projects that this is the business we're in. We are creating possibility out of things that were formerly considered impossible. And that could be anything from closing uh, an environmental cycle of some sort so that uh, we are a non-waste producing business, or it could be as fundamental as ensuring that healthy aid is possible for people in their own homes, or it could be cancer prevention. So if you think about just those three, we are in a fundamentally different world to one that existed 50 years ago. So anyone who's interested can certainly go to my website, which is workwell.com.au. And uh, on that website, uh, there's an opportunity to download a book with my compliments, as well as uh, sign up for a weekly newsletter, which I call the five minute strategy strategic mindset in which I share three thought provokers every week on a strategic level, gives leaders a way to flex their strategic muscles. And I highly recommend both the book and the newsletter. I follow it. It's a great resource. So 
do be sure to take advantage of that. And you can also find out more information and links for this episode, related links, by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 207, and scrolling down to resources. So back to our conversation. In the first segment, we were talking about what multi-stakeholder societal benefit is the importance of making sure that everybody understands what we mean so that net positive that's right and that in fact there is a need for a different type of leadership to create this focus so at this point maybe a story you know we've been talking very theoretically can you tell us a, about a company and uh, leadership that illustrates what this took to make the shift? I can tell you three really quick ones. In fact, four super fast because there are so many. There are so many. And I thought it would be helpful if we used some household names here. So uh, ultimately what they all share in common is a viewpoint that says that business cannot be a bystander in the systems that give it life, systems of people, systems uh, in the environment, economic systems. And so uh, a, a really quick one, George Clooney, well-known uh, Hollywood actor, uh, became the public face of Nestle for one of its product lines, the Nespresso coffee line. Now, famously, he took a fee of tens of millions of dollars for this. And that's what got a lot of the press at the time. But what was less well known uh, is that Clooney uh, is a very strong advocate for human rights, for sustainability, for geopolitical security, uh, and for many of the concerns that net positive businesses have. And so he talked with Nestle about the fact that, uh, yes, he will be the face of the organisation, but what he wants to also so ensure is that company practice is reformed so that the producers of the coffee beans who are impoverished small-scale farmers in Africa and other parts of the world are adequately compensated so that they have the ability to have a living wage. They've got the ability to send their children to school, to purchase health care, to have electricity in their houses, etc., etc. Now, that's just a very small example. There are others. Um, Puma, the company that makes uh, running shoes and other sporting equipment, they were one of the first businesses who said, yes, uh, of course, we'll have a financial financial profit and loss statement, but we are also going to develop an EP&L, an environmental profit and loss statement, into which we are going to factor all of the environmental costs in sourcing, producing and packaging and distributing our product. Um, and they have made uh, financial calculations about these costs and ways to return those effects uh, at the other end. Now, they are taking it further because at the moment it goes from what you could call crazy 
cradle to gate, as in the production of a shoe to uh, you and I getting it home, but uh, they want to go further and they want to go cradle to grave to understand, well, what happens to the shoe after we've finished using it? And it's those externalities and even the fact that they're called externalities <laughs> is a problem for us today because they, those costs are never factored into the costs of actually producing and getting the product to us. They're also in future going to look at ways to build into their uh, EP&L job creation factors, human rights factors, and these other less tangible factors. So they're just two examples. Uh, I think uh, I, I, could, I could tell you about what IKEA is doing. I could tell you about what Coca-Cola is doing, but there are many others. It's notable when you step back and you can say, yeah, there are a lot of companies that are doing this and business roundtable and all of that. The shift, though, to go from this is the way that we do business to we're going to actually change the way we structure our business and the strategy that we take. And view the fiduciary responsibility. Yep. Exactly. Can you share with us a little bit about how some of these top leaders came to work together with their stakeholders? Yeah, what, what's, what's that mind shift and how do you get stakeholders that sometimes have very, very contrasting needs and priorities together on something as massive as this? This is a fascinating question, and it's it's what's fascinated me in the 20-plus years of my career as a strategic advisor, because what I notice is that it usually emanates from a single person or a small group of people who have had some kind of a wake-up call, an aha moment, an epiphany. An example of this is uh, Paul Polman, who was the CEO of Unilever for 10 years. He tells a fabulous story of his daughter coming home <laughs> and asking, uh, you run this big business, Dad. What's the planet going to look like if you keep doing what you're doing for me and my kids? And uh, this put a completely different lens on the way that Paul saw the world. Um, and he relates this uh, very uh, nicely in his book, uh, Net Positive. Uh, my belief is that, uh, you know, if you look at uh, some of the big players in this space who are leading this sort of groundswell, you know, we've got venture capitalists like John Doerr looking at environmental OKRs. We've got, uh, you know, Larry Fink, who runs the largest private equity firm. Uh, we've got leaders uh, gathering at Davos as part of the World Economic Forum. Um, you know, we've got, you know, John Mackey, who was the founder and CEO of Whole Foods running an entire body of thinking called conscious capitalism. Now, once again, I could go on and on and on. What we're finding is that these are people who are having a series of epiphanies and aha moments who then bring these into conversations with their boards, with their executive teams, with their suppliers, with their customers, with their stakeholders, 
and again, coming back to this fundamental belief that society has to be better off because of our place in it. And it's a question of and, not or. It's not a question of environment or profit. It's how do we do uh, environmental responsibility and profit? And if you uh, look into any of the ways that these uh, individuals are uh, running their very successful businesses and commercial enterprises, you see that this and thinking is, is occurring. I agree with you. I think that looking at it, in the form of and is so important. And one of the big challenges, I think, is wrapping the head around the idea that you don't have to show profit the same way. I mean, you can't when you're talking about something that is so long-term and such a big issue, especially when you're partnering with such a diversity of stakeholders. And of course, that is something that you have quite a bit of experience with. Is there something that is really the key to making that particular shift? Um, I call it multi-dimensional thinking. It's looking at the organization that you're in from multiple perspectives. Organizations that, for example, only or predominantly focus on the economic actually create waste because they're not thinking about the other dimensions of an issue. So uh, I've been working with the UN lately and uh, as part of my work there, I've learned somewhat shockingly that 75% of all plastics ever made <laughs> since World War II are still in existence. And 75% of that lives, guess where, in landfills and in the ocean. So now, uh, the UN famously has just passed a, a resolution on banning plastic waste globally and working on that agreement within the next two years. Now, uh, this is a very big step. But coming back to your question, how should we be thinking? My very strong encouragement, and this is what I do with my clients, is let's look at your business, your operations, and your ultimate value from every perspective. And this is not an unusual phenomenon. So there are many multi-sided business models out there that say we are going to capture a previously wasted element of, of our society or resource uh, in some way. And if you look at, uh, you know, the Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world, what are they doing fundamentally? They are thinking multidimensionally and asking, there is unused capacity or an unused asset out there that can be utilised in an intelligent fashion. And what we can be doing is building a platform that reduces that waste and ensures that there's as little slippage as possible. So I think of waste as a very powerful way to think about what are the various interests and how can we make sure that as many of them as possible uh, are taken into account. Absolutely. When you're reframing an issue like this and taking it out of the usual thinking and creating something that actually people can see that it makes a difference. And of course, it all starts, as you said, with personal commitment. Somebody, somebody's at the top have to believe that it makes a difference. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. And of course, it's a journey. And when... 
we come back, we're going to take a quick break first. And when we come back, Scott and I will speak more with Andrew Hollow, the director and principal consultant at WorkWell Consulting, about immediately useful ideas for leadership for multi-stakeholder societal benefit. Stay with us. You're listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum for game-changing results. Now, Pam, our regular listeners know that many leaders we speak with are used to moving in new directions to respond to a world that's changing in so many ways faster than ever before. But as one CEO recently shared with us, it's one thing to be on top, but it's another thing to make a lasting impact. That's right. That's why I developed my keynote, How Growth Igniters Lead for Tomorrow, Starting Today. Find out the secret of the successful visionary leaders who are able to ignite game-changing growth that creates long-term benefit in a short-term world. So go to PamHarperSpeaks.com today to find out more about Pam's keynote and her availability to speak at your next leadership conference. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Andrew Hollow, the director and principal consultant at WorkWell Consulting, about the growing wave of businesses, including multi-stakeholder societal benefit as part of their strategic imperatives. Andrew, tell us how people can find out more about you, your work, and your books. The easiest way is to get online, have a look at workwell.com.au and plenty of resources are there, freely available. And I think the most immediate way is to uh, subscribe to 5-Minute Strategic Mindset, uh, my Friday newsletter that I very much enjoy writing and putting out to people. So uh, you'll find that on the website as well. And you can find out more information and links about this episode by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 207. Scroll down to resources. So we are at the part of our episode here where we talk about the immediately useful ideas for bringing all this good discussion to life. And in this case, it's about leading an organization to create multi-stakeholder societal benefit. And... Let's start with a practical idea for shifting top leadership mindset. I've got two practical ideas. The first is asking, is it enough? In other words, I worked with government that was uh, leading the public health response during the COVID pandemic uh, here in Australia. And this is the government department that is responsible for funding hospitals, uh, all sorts of health services, and much, much, much else besides a budget of tens of billions of dollars a year. And my question to the senior leaders there was, how are you thinking about your fundamental end game? 
and is it enough what you are thinking? And it got them to think about the fact that why wouldn't we aim for actually saying we are creating a world where we are the healthiest people in the world. In Australia, we are fortunate to be prosperous, uh, socially cohesive, we have a safe society and we've got good infrastructure. So if we look at all of the various metrics of good health being, you know, relative uh, standards of equality, uh, high uh, life expectancy, very good access, uh, globally speaking, to uh, healthcare, uh, why wouldn't we say uh, we can be the healthiest people in the world? So that's the first step. Now, that that was a fascinating conversation because uh, it led to, and, and you can uh, go online and see the strategy today that we created from this that said, yes, uh, we will be the healthiest people in the world. The second practical idea is to broaden the meaning of business. Uh, in my conversations with my clients, I'm frequently uh, encouraging them to broaden four areas, uh, broaden the thinking you do around your value chain. So don't just optimise within your business, but look at your suppliers and your partners' value chains and look at your customers' lives. Broaden your concept of time. Don't think only in terms of quarters or annual cycles. Think in terms of five, 10 years and generational impact. Broaden your view of stakeholders. Don't just think about the obvious suppliers and employees. Think about the full array of those who are connected to your business or could be connected to your business. And lastly, broaden the way you think about money rethink how you are deploying and securing capital and reduce, if you need to, the focus on investors and their rewards and put them into balance with the other forms of societal benefit that you're creating and then help them understand that. So they're my two immediate ideas that I find at a strategic level work best. Broaden the meaning of business and ask, is it enough uh, what we're doing or can we think even bigger? Now, building on your last point about changing stakeholder definitions of, of profit and so on, do you have a practical idea for shifting stakeholder mindsets? Because some people want to look at things the way they want to look at things. Now, I, I, I'd go a step back, Scott, and say, do you have the right stakeholders? Aha. Uh -huh. Oh, We okay. like that one. All right. Redefining takes on a new term here. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm a great believer in in order to reorient a business or an enterprise for the future, you have to go back to first principles and you have to ask who are the best partners, the best collaborators for us. And so if we are looking at future-proofing ourselves, do we need clean tech partners? Do we need artificial intelligence and data partners? Do we need people who can help measure, you know, circularity impact? Do we need, do we need people who can help us with organisational development and people development so that our people are purposeful and high performing and we find the right partners? A lot of people talk about values aligned partnerships, but behind that jargon, I think is a very strong truth. And that is when you find the right partners, and this is then my, my practical tip, the best thing you can do is get them involved in your strategy creation. 
Don't treat them as separate entities. Bring them into a, what I call a roundtable approach get them talking to each other, and then the multi-perspectival thinking occurs in the room. This has been my experience. It's very powerful. Mm -hmm. You're preaching to the choir here, and and once again, you're demonstrating the value of reframing a question and reframing how we look at our situations. It's so powerful. Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this extends to shareholders, too, for public companies. Because if you have investors that don't understand, suddenly you end up with activist investors and company is forced into directions that maybe you don't want to go. So So you've got to be very clear. What if we were talking about making sure that anything that we're communicating to the investor community is very clear about what we're talking about here? What do you think? Absolutely. And once again, uh, I'll go back to Paul Polman uh, at Unilever, who famously uh, stopped issuing quarterly guidance to the investor community. And, And he said, no, it focuses us in the wrong way at the wrong times on the wrong things. And ultimately, I couldn't agree more, Pam, there is a need to educate the investor community, which is uh, not an easy thing to do, but it is possible to do in broadening uh, their perspectives. Mm -hmm. Let's look at one more practical idea. And this one on evaluating progress, you know, we are in a constantly changing world. We say, this is the strategy we're following. Then we've got all the unrest that's going on in the world at this point. Or pandemics or whatever. Yeah, you know, the situation in Ukraine, all of this. How do you measure your progress under these conditions? I'm a great believer in uh, progress against what. So ask the question, what matters the most? For most complex organizations, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of available metrics of progress, and one can be quite selective about these, but ultimately ask what matters the most and why. So one of my clients, uh, which I won't name, but simply say that they are a, a research organization where they're investing multiple billions of dollars in scientific research. And they have three very clear statements about what matters the most. Number one is rankings, their global rankings of uh, research institutes. They want to be in the top 10 globally. Income, they want to show that they are able to attract investment into the types of research that they do. And most importantly, they are currently working on what they call global challenges. Um, This is bringing research to bear on some of the really big issues of our time. One of them, for example, is climate change. And uh, what they are wanting to do is to say, well, we are going to expand in the next 10 years from having a very uh, strong footprint in research from three of these challenges to 10. So what that means, these are not flavour of the month uh, metrics. These are durable. In 10 years' time, uh, my guess is they will still be interested in 
being globally ranked as one of the world's leaders, that they are a very attractive proposition for those wanting to invest in research, and thirdly, uh, that they are addressing the uh, preeminent issues of our day in a practical way that can be translated into genuine impact. So my encouragement is durability matters and ask what matters the most because what matters the most today is in many cases what will matter the most in five or ten years time right i think that's a good point so here we are we're at the end of the episode can you leave us with some final thoughts on the importance of leadership for the multi-stakeholder societal benefit we all care about this my final uh, reflection, when I think about the hundreds of teams and organisations that I've had the privilege of working with, is that where change for greater impact works, there are three, four, five things going on. So, so use these as a bit of a checklist uh, in your own organisation. Firstly, uh, there's usually somebody or a group who have had a fundamental insight that has sparked some kind of vision that grows to the scale of an obsession. So find the people who care enough about something to make a stand and to, I don't know if this is an Australian expression or not, but we talk about, you know, would you die in a ditch over it? <laughs> it's, it's that. Secondly, find the true believers. Uh, and sometimes this can be a small group. This is the grassroots occasionally, who are those ground up advocates. And then thirdly, work out what you can disrupt and what you can change because business as usual is never a, a, a solution for groundbreaking change and insight. Fourthly, work out who your influence targets are. Now, they might well be your investor community, they might be your uh, political allies, they might be partner organisations, and work out how you're going to handle predictable disbelief and criticism. That's important. And then lastly, the point I made just a moment ago is work out what matters the most and be able to distill what you're doing into a very small number of outcomes measurable and a very small number of goals and be able to speak to those repeatedly. Steve Jobs famously said, around the time that you are getting bored with repeating yourself is about the time when people are finally starting to understand. Andrew, thanks so much for being our guest on Growth Igniters Radio. Thanks so much, Pam and Scott. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yes, we have. We've enjoyed it too, Andrew. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To contact us, get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 207. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with these questions to discuss with your team. What is the societal benefit that we are committed to that will improve the global and human condition? And what new leadership conversations do we need to create with our many stakeholders that can bring this vision to life? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. 
except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved. <laughs>